0: Episode number 287, From Franchise to Local Dive, How to Multiply Your Church, with Jason Moore and Roz Picardo. Part two. Let's do it. This is the definitive podcast for helping you plan, create, and execute dynamic worship experiences at your church. Useful, practical content in the areas of production, worship, communications, first impressions, and more. This is Making Sunday Happen. Well, hey guys, this is the Making Sunday Happen podcast. Each week we help you transform your physical and online worship experiences. We're talking with industry leaders. We talk with pastors, worship leaders, communication strategists, artists, and more to give you ideas, to give you creativity and training on how to reach people in your world with the gospel. If you missed last week's episode of the show, we started a chat with Jason Moore and Roz Picardo, the authors of the book, From Franchise to Local Dive, How to Multiply Your Church. The premise of the book is to not be a cookie cutter church, to really understand your community and to create a fresh expression that can resonate with the community that you're trying to reach. This week we'll get into more of how you can craft your worship experiences for your local dive. First, let's check the mailbag. For the mailbag this week we are continuing to share behind the scenes photos of you and your team in action. These are photos of church media, worship, and guest services teams that are making Sunday happen each and every week. Here is a photo of the control room at City View Bible Church in Round Rock, Texas. Love seeing this team in action. Way to go, guys. Uh, And here's a photo from Mountain Park Church in Phoenix, Arizona. Shout out to my man DeAndre Clayton and his team there Uh, audio and lighting texts, hard at work making Sunday happen there in Phoenix. If you have a photo or question for the mailbag, feel free to send it in. We would love to answer your question or showcase the work that God is doing at your church. You can email me directly, carl at 1230.media, or find me on the socials at Carl Barnhill. All right, part two of my interview with Jason Moore and Roz Picardo is coming right up. Uh, we'll pick up mid conversation with Jason and Roz right after this.
1: We- to church staff and volunteers just like you and we've responded with our most comprehensive and customizable version yet it's stable it's powerful and it's easy to use you'll find intuitive tools like sermon builder customizable plugins and a refined slide editor all backed by our amazing customer support made of
2: pastors techs, and volunteers available when you need them it's everything you need to create powerful presentations while saving you time introducing media shout seven
0: Roz, uh, we know that the that the church is more than the worship experience, um, that we can be uh, creative and be uh, have flavor in our Sunday, but how do we go beyond Sunday? How do we, uh, and especially now that it's, it's, I think it's more important than ever that uh, we're reaching people during the week, that it's a continual um, thing. So how do we live it out in our city? And you spoke to things like ride-alongs and stuff like that, but maybe some more ideas on how do we live in the city that we're in as a local diet.
2: Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, pre pandemic and some of this carries over that the, the church that's going to thrive and be fruitful in the future is the church that seven days a week. So uh, looking at worship as a continuation of what you do in the community, instead of a, um, only exclusively one hour on a Sunday morning, so one of the things Jason and I talk about is uh, those missional handholds. Uh, what happens in worship should lend itself to get you not only through Monday through Saturday, but equip you with the tools to be able to minister to the people in the business sector or the schools or wherever your, your context is. And so is it, um, you know doing a series uh what's the series called on peanut butter and jelly jason that oh it's uh, called believing is seeing yeah and the image is like this peanut butter and jelly sandwich which ended up lending itself to then being able to go out in a community and uh giving out some food and lunches and the people that were in the congregation actually helped assemble bring food in during the week um it was that missional handhold. Another example of this is we did um, a series called Spin Cycle. Well, we didn't waste that series. Instead, we decided to shower a laundromat with love, and we met with people from the community. We did their laundry. We had meaningful conversations. Um, so I think um, instead of looking worship as segmented, how do we find those missional handholds? To carry on that vision. And I think a lot of leaders and churches kind of see that disconnect, but it should be flowing out of one story. And so it happens not only in what we do on Sunday morning, but then it carries over to even discipleship. Um, What we're teaching our people, what's going along with the series. If we're doing a series on, you know, God's money or uh, money talks, maybe that would be a good time to introduce a financial, you know, thing like, you know, financial peace university or or whatnot. So it's thinking through kind of more creatively and then strategic on what flows together, or there can be outreach events that accompany uh, the different things that you do on Sundays as well, where you're, you're making it a continual flow. What happens is people are capturing it. So When you look at a mustard seed, you never think about it the same way again. Now, when we do, you know, when I pick up the laundry detergent or even, uh, you know, bringing my laundry down, I can't help but think of the series we did and the people that we impacted. And so how can we carry on and live into that fully? We, We make the argument in the
1: book that we should always consider sort of the missional opportunity as a part of worship. So sometimes you design a series and there's an opportunity to to engage in mission. So the the spin cycle actually had a, a an opening video animation that I put together for Roz where you're in a laundromat and you're moving toward the, the machine. And there's like some phrases that come up about how life gets dirty and that, that God can cleanse us and so on. But then Roz and his team came up with this idea that we're gonna have a day at the laundromat where we're gonna pay for people to have their laundry done. And it was a great outreach to the community so thinking about not only what happens on Sunday, but how does Sunday launch into missional opportunities and deeper faith development, you know, from a, from a uh, personal discipleship perspective.
0: How does this relate to online? So uh, obviously we can go out into the community, but a lot of people might be either stuck at home or whatever. How does bring us into the, the online environment, Jason?
1: Um, I I think, obviously, it does look a little different. Um, I think we have lots of opportunities now for virtual gatherings and things like that. Um, I'm showing a a video in this new training that is from the church that Roz and I both have been on staff at in the past, Ginglesburg United Methodist Church, uh, where they are doing, um, they're participating in the life of a mobile grocery store. And so uh, one of the things I've been talking a lot about in this webinar is that we have to not only talk to people about the how to give in this time, but the why to give. And so uh, casting a vision for uh, friends, the, the dollars and cents that you invest in our church look like this. And so you might show a video or tell a story of, of that. And so in this case, um, people gave financially to help fund this mobile grocery store, but they also began to volunteer and be a part of it. Uh, so they would, you know, mask up and go out and, and help with the groceries and and give donations and, you know, things like that. Um, I think that if we continually think about what is the call to action, sometimes we don't think a lot about that when it comes to worship. What is the thing that we want to ask people to do? I often talk about, and we put this in the book too. Uh, the idea of creating a a goal or desired outcome for every worship service you create. Mm. So you ought to be able to name, here's what we want you to do in response to what you've experienced today. Worship shouldn't just be an escape from the world for the week, but uh, here's how you get involved. Um, One last thing I'll say here is that um, I've been using the example in in the webinar that I'm doing right now uh, about how we have to shift announcements a little bit. I think I may even, we may even put this in the book too. Um, you know, our, our typical in-person way of doing announcements is that, you know, you pick up a paper and I'll grab a piece here. And so we, we might start off worship by saying, hey, we have some things happening in the life of our church. And our, our uh, United Methodist Women's Group is meeting on Monday for Bible study. And uh, we're going to send the kids to summer camp. So we have a bake sale. And you do like 10 minutes of boring information, which is really easy to close in a window. I've been suggesting that people instead think about giving people an ROI or return on investment up front. So if you spend the next thirty minutes with us, friends, you're going to hear a message about how to find your faith in the midst of fear, uh, and you're going to hear a great message that will give you some handles on that. And then make those announcements, action steps at the end, and and give language to them that is about what you're talking about that day. Mm-hmm. So I can't think of a better way of finding our faith in the midst of fear by than then being in relationships. So here, uh, here's one way that you can do that this week. Our w- women's group is meeting on Monday. Uh, number two, we've got some kids that are going to camp this summer, and they find their faith in that way. And so we're going to have a bake sale to send them to camp. So Love what that. we begin to do is think about how do we make worship, um, with that narrative idea in mind, how do we send them forth? And we don't do announcements anymore. We do action steps, and we always think about the missional opportunity.
0: Love that. Uh, Roz, let's kind of get back to the worship experience a little bit. What are some ways as a local dive that I can really set my worship experience apart?
2: Yeah. Um, I I would say.
0: uh, Announcements is, that's a great, uh, note in a great way.
2: Yeah. And I, I would say the same thing is, uh, true for the giving moment, how to set that up, how you're telling, sharing, you're sharing the story. Um, You're casting vision and too often, you know, there's not another nonprofit in the country that has 52 Sundays a year to be able to take up an offering. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes we just say, all right, ushers come forward or, hey, just give if you feel that. And that's it. Instead of telling the story, casting vision and using that as a way to mobilize people to mission and showing what their missional dollars are doing.
1: Roz, uh, tell them for a moment about uh, your specific context and how you're using language as part of your local dive. Different different languages.
2: Oh yeah, we're um so we're a multi ethnic church, and so we've yeah. incorporated over thirty languages in worship. So we have prayers in different languages, sometimes preaching in different languages, um, highlighting different countries, doing ESL programs, kids club programs with our refugee brothers and sisters um, doing um, gifts around Christmas time for families uh, that are in need and that are new to this country. And so it's, it's been um, really holistic in how we've done this and um, how we've tried to incorporate them, even sharing their testimonies and stories in the worship experience. So we have the metaphor of being a mosaic. And so we try to embody that and live that out from our staff all the way to what we do in worship and why we do what we do. And, so, and the
1: reason I think that's a really important aspect of what you do is that it's unique to who you are as a community. Uh, yeah. when, when they were building Mosaic, how many different language groups were there? You, you I remember the book you talked about sort of the, the need you were meeting in Dayton
2: yeah um you know, Dayton is a welcoming city, and so we've had an influx of refugees and immigrants come in, and then our county that we targeted had one of the higher percentages. Now, being the planner, my affinity has been toward the international community because my parents were immigrants, and so I, I think a lot of it has to I think we overlook that at times is what's our affinity group? And as much as we say that um, we don't target anybody, I think initially. We start with maybe somebody in mind, just like Rick Warren started with Saddleback Sam with a Zach Morris phone, and you know, w- working in Silicon Valley. I think uh, we have that type, but the goal is to move beyond that to a mosaic. Um, and so, I, I think, um, I think it's you know, every Christian has a call, but then you look at it. There's specific. Giftings that God's given to each person. And so someone may have a steroidal gifting in evangelism that someone else doesn't have, but there's a general call of making disciples. There's a general mm. call of praying. You know, mm. you can't say, well, I don't have the gift of prayer because every Christian should do that. So I look at local churches in the same vein because there's that general call, but then there's more of a specific one. And so what's unique about us is we're multi-ethnic and then we have this recovery flavor where we have helped sponsor eight recovery homes for men, single women, and then maternal houses where expected moms and mothers that are coming out of addiction. And so that's kind of incorporated in the fabric of who we are and what we're doing as well. So it's looking at your, your context is going to tell you a lot and it's easier to plant and be able to start with the dna that you want to start versus revitalizing now both are important yeah. and mm. some and some principles are transferable but it's harder to change a culture than to start a culture and so right your change theory in worship and in other things is really going to depend on the life cycle of where that specific church is at so if they're dying quickly then you'll want to move fast um, you know, in picking and choosing your battles. Some pastors are fighting over bulletins. Even the most contemporary churches we know of still have, they become sometimes the same resentful Christians that they don't like. For instance, when I started a movie theater, a church in a movie theater in Lexington, Kentucky, it's interesting how people would sit in the same seats they always sat in. And it's mm-hmm. like, whoa, you're becoming what you didn't want to become. And so, That's where I think worship can help flip the script and create those moments of uh, missional handholds, but also to expect the unexpected.
1: And I just want to piggyback on one thing there. And part of the reason I wanted you to tell your story about how you're using language is that's what we mean by local dive. We wouldn't recommend that every church do multiple languages in their worship because that's not their context. So it's not about sort of ripping off what somebody else is doing and saying, oh, uh, you know. Um, Rick Warren's doing this, so we need to do it. Or Stephen Furtick is doing this, so we need to do it. Or, or what? Not that those those are best practices for where they're at, and they meet their context. And um, I, I talk, I tell a story in the book about how when I was a kid, I bought, uh, didn't really know I was buying them, but I bought fake Air Jordans and wore them to school the next day, and everybody gave me a hard time. And I didn't realize I bought the bootleg version of, of the real thing. And sometimes if we look at what somebody else is doing and we want to grab it and just say, Hey, let's do that at our church because so-and-so is doing it. Correct. We may do the bootleg version of it and it will fail. We've got to create our own unique recipe. So
0: good, good point. Very good point. Um, All right. In our last remaining minutes, Jason, let's hit on worship experience again. And there are some, even though we're adding our own flavor here, and we've talked about this a little bit, but are there some key ingredients in a worship experience? In a worship experience, they don't, they might, it might be okay to change up the order in which these go, but are there some key elements that a worship experience has to have, or can it be?
1: Um I you know I think uh there are some things that we certainly recommend in the book. I mean the first thing I always think about is what does the environment look like? Um that's that's different online than it is in person, but if you're going to have people in the room, can you do creative things with the room? And in the book we talk about a bunch of different churches that have done some really uh interesting things including rearranging their sanctuary completely. I know churches that build sets, you know. Um even in a traditional setting, you can do creative things with your space. Uh, music obviously is a really important aspect of worship, and so we have to think about what music fits your context. You know, so uh, I hear a lot of churches say they want to do quote contemporary music, and the contemporary is actually like nineteen nineties contemporary. Like I have <laughs> to tell people all the time, "Shine, Jesus, shine," and "Lord, I lift your name on high" are not contemporary songs. Um, so you have to figure out what meets your context. And and in the book, we we share some examples even there one of my favorite worship experiences, uh, of, of a couple years ago was at a church that did almost like Mumford and son style worship. And it wasn't like contemporary contemporary, and it wasn't traditional, but it was sort of in the middle. Another church did sort of uh, rockabilly style worship and that's what really met their context. So music is a huge part of it. Uh, I think the way that we set up our, our themes, uh, and our order of worship, uh, Far, not often enough uh, do we connect the pieces. So we talked about that a little bit, but I think uh, that's really important: um, media integration and the way that we kind of tell the story throughout. Rather than doing like five or ten different random things in worship, uh, I always ask people to think about the rest of the phrase: "A picture is worth a thousand words." Right. So every time you put up a picture, there are a thousand words that come with that picture, and if you're showing. 10 or 15 different looks with different fonts and different colors. And it's just a hodgepodge. You have said a whole lot, uh, and not necessarily said anything. I also think that the way you tie in the message, uh, so in the sermon, uh, the sermon shouldn't be a standalone piece that doesn't relate to any of the rest of the themes. And so the way that you bring, uh, those things together is, is really helpful. And, uh, then again, we talked about this a moment ago, but but missional application, I think, is so important. What do you want people to do? What's the takeaway? How are you going to live into what you're talking about? Um, and I think I think that's uh, most of what we talk about in the book as just a good some essential elements of your recipe that will take worship to the next level.
0: Roz, do we have to have those elements? For instance, can we have a all music service or a nothing but X worship service, or
2: all acoustic, or you fill can in do the blank. Whatever, you can do whatever you want. That's mm-hmm. the great thing about worship. We try to um, we try to constantly innovate, and our folks have been trained and conditioned to change because mm-hmm. it's easy. Even with the best musicians and preachers, and if you do the same thing over and over again, it just gets stale. And so we've done salsa Sundays. We've done Just a variety of different, we brought in guest bands and musicians from other countries just to shake things up and to give our people an exposure to broaden their worldview. I tell people we're a 70-30 church, meaning 70% is what you're going to love here, but guess what? Someone else's 30% might be your 70 and vice versa. So I equate it as um, eating dinner at the table. Uh, my, you know, we have three little girls under the age of three, so dinner time's always funny. Um, you know, you got one in a high chair, and then you got two others huddled together. And the girls have different tastes, but guess what? There's only one meal that we're gonna cook, and you can't pick and choose what you're gonna eat. We're not gonna make separate meals. the The goal is um, not so much of oh, I didn't like everything to we're together and that's the most important thing. And so how do we get to that point in worship where I might not like this type of music we do at this time or in this way we do things. However, it's better. It's greater than just me about me. Right.
0: Well, that brings up a good point as we close. Uh, Jason, you get the hardest question. How do we deal with the stakeholders that are uh, against the change or, you know, we're trying to reach the community that we're in and be a local dive, but there's a handful of stakeholders that do not want to go there.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, that is certainly a a challenge for any pastor uh, or church leadership team to have to deal with. Um, I have, you know, probably two reflections on that. Um, The first is that I think we greatly underestimate the value of vision casting. Uh, people will always resist change. If, you know, change is hard. And so you have to help them understand why, why are we changing? You know, when people know your why they tend to be uh, less resistant uh, because if it feels like you're making an arbitrary change uh, they, don't, they don't get it and they don't see the need for it. Uh, so that would be my first response. Uh, of course, you're still gonna have people That even when you cast the vision and you tell them the why, they don't buy it and they don't want to be a part of it. So the second one is a much harder uh, reality. But I think that sometimes we have to let stakeholders go who are not willing to move forward. Uh, Sometimes what happens is your entire church is held back by one or two people who have a chokehold on um, the direction you're allowed to go. And as hard as it is to say goodbye to someone, uh, sometimes what happens is eliminating those naysayers is what allows you to go to the next level.
0: But they're uh, my biggest tither. How do well, I?
1: you got to trust that God is, is going to continue to provide for you. Um, Roz and I were on the, the mega church we were on staff at. Uh, our lead pastor, Mike Slaughter, uh, went to that church, and there were 120 people in that congregation. And he always jokes that he promptly grew it from a church of 120 to 80, and then they grew to 500 and then a 1,000, and then 1,500, and then all the mm-hmm. way up to 4,000-something. Um, yeah. and, and that was because he was willing to cast a vision, and he was willing to let some people go, even though they were good tithers. Uh, we just have to trust that if, if God has given the vision to the pastor to lead this congregation in, in a certain direction— uh, we've got to trust that that's the right vision, and sometimes it means having to make hard choices.
0: I would say that's true for volunteer teams as well. That's been my experience. Where, you know, but we've never done a run through. Okay. Yeah. Hey, well, we're we're going to, yeah, um, You know, I mean, you want to be gracious and and find a place for that person to serve, but um, you know, I would say that that's true with volunteer t- t- volunteers as well. Uh, or leaders as well that if they need to find another place of ministry because they can't jump onto the the, the vision then that might be what needs to happen. Yeah. Um awesome. Well, uh how how do we get the book? I know it's uh um you know it's available it's been available for a while. Uh tell tell us how we can get it and how we can follow you guys.
1: Uh you can get the book at marketsquarebooks.com and uh I'll even tell you about a discount. Uh if you put in even though this is not a webinar, if you put in webinar 20, webinar 20, you can get 20% off the book and uh, you can also get it on the Amazon and other places. But if you buy it from market square books, you'll get that discount. Awesome. Ross, what else?
2: And um, you know, check out midnight oil productions or uh, Rosario com as well. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram.
1: And let me also just quick plug Roz also has been doing some great training along with uh, co-author Michael Beck. on tell, tell them the name of your new book. It's called Fresh
2: Expressions in a Digital Age.
1: And it's awesome. really all about how to reimagine worship for, for right now. Lots of good case studies and really excellent uh, leadership for how to face the time we're in.
0: Great. Well, thank you guys for the, for the time and all the insight. Really appreciate your time today. Thank, thank you, Carl. Hey, guys. Stallion here from the 1230 Media team. Listen, today I want to talk to you about our blog, This is a free training resource available for you over on our website. That's right, if you go to 1230.media forward slash blog, you can have access to the entire library. That's over 600 articles written by ministry professionals, church staff members, volunteers, friends of ours, directly from the ministry trenches. We try to cover a wide variety of topics, ranging from communications to production, uh, worship, volunteer culture, anything that has to do with the worship experience. During the pandemic, we even added a category called Church Online, and this is great for both the pro streamers, the veterans out there, and the people just getting started with online church. You can browse the articles by category, or if you find an author you like, you can continue to see what else they've written. Ultimately, we hope that we can help you transform your worship experience. The show notes for this episode are available now at MakingSundayHappen.com. Well, hey guys, thanks so much for joining us this week on the show. Next week, I'll welcome a member of our 1230 Media team. Daniel Stevanis will be in the house. We call him Stal. Uh, Also, I'll be talking with Stal about how to take a Sabbath if you work on Sunday. If you're on staff at a church, uh, you're not taking Sunday off like a normal weekend. You're working all day. Uh, I remember when I was uh, at New Spring Church, I would work all day. I mean, I'm talking like 12 hours uh, on a a Sunday. So Sunday is definitely not the weekend day off for you. So how do we take a Sabbath uh, if we are uh, supposed to work on Sundays? We'll talk about that uh, next week. We'll also talk about how to collaborate with pastors, other pastors uh, in your community. And also, what show did Stal binge watch while he had COVID recently. We'll talk about all that next week. Well, thanks so much for hanging out. Go out there and create some incredible physical and digital worship experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Making Sunday Happen is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your church, visit makingsundayhappen.com.